Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City and I love what God is doing in and through this church. You're here at a very exciting season for our church. God has brought us every step of the way, but we believe our best days are still to come. And so I want to let you know about something before I get into the heart of the message. Uh, we talk all the time about here about leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. And how can we make more room for more folks to experience the transformational love of Jesus? And so I want to let you know about something you do not want to miss. And it's coming up in two weeks, June 5th. We are having a groundbreaking celebration on the land that God has provided us right next door uh, where we're building a transformation center where we are committed to being the church better seven days a week instead of just one. And I listen, if you are kind of been around here for a while, then you are most likely invested in this vision. And so you're not going to want to miss that. If you're new around here, what a great way for you to hop in and uh, to see what God's doing and where God's leading us. So don't miss that. As we say around, if you already have plans for June 5th, uh, you know what to do cancel them. Uh, so you can be here and uh, we just don't want you to miss that. Uh, we're actually concluding today a teaching series called The Power of Partnering, where we've looked at how God has actually wired us, created us uh, to need each other, to need him, and how when we choose to partner together with God, when we choose to partner together with each other, that life is actually better together, that you're not meant to live it alone or go it alone, that your life is actually meant to be lived in relationship, relationship with God and relationship with others. And so today we're going to talk about the power of partnering together as friends, as friends, why we really actually need each other as friends. Now I want to let you know something, a little disclaimer before we get into the message today. I want you to understand where I'm coming from. There's not a single thing I'm going to share here today that you haven't already heard. I want to be really clear about that. There's no like magic verse that I found in the Bible that explains it all and makes it super easy for you to do this. This is stuff that you already actually know. But the question is, are you willing to trust God with it? And for some of you, I want to let you know this. For some of you, when it comes to spiritual friendships like we're going to be talking about today, some of you are killing the game when it comes to friends. Like you are doing an, you are deeply connected. You are in friendship. Like there are people here, maybe in your life, that have been a part of your life, that are spiritual friends, that you know the value of that relationship and you are committed to it. So I just want to say, if that's you, I mean, listen, you, you just need to say amen as much as possible today. You need to say, go on. You need to say, that's right, as much as possible because you already know. And in fact, even as I'm talking, because you're such a pro at this, you may even want to text or turn to the person next to you who is a spiritual friend and thank God for them and thank them for being your friend. So the rest of this message is for the rest of us. The rest of this message is for the rest of us who are willing to admit that we actually have a space in our lives designed by God that's actually divine desire for relationship, that you actually know that there's something missing, that there's a deeper level of connection and relationship and are actually willing today to do something about it. Now, I want you to think about uh, what we talked about just a minute ago, your first friends. Do you remember some of the first best friends or the first friends? Because I know when you're little, there's like categories and classes. There's, you know, your best friend, then your second best friend, your third best friend, and your, you know, lieutenant friend. Like, you just kind of got it all. It's like the military. You've got it all organized there, right? And so I want you to think back to that friend or when your first couple friends, and I want you to think about something maybe you've never thought of, before, the question is this, who told you that you needed friends? Who taught you that? Now, your parents may have taught you how to be a good friend, how to share and how not, you know, to kind of be kind and say kind things. But my hunch is no one had to teach you that you needed friends. You just knew. You just knew that you kind of needed people 
around you. And so that's why at a very early age, without anyone telling you to do so, you began to form friendships. So the next question is, what happened? What happened? That thing that came so easily to you as a kid, you didn't even have to think twice about it. no one had to tell you to do it. What happened? Why does it seem like the older you get, the harder it gets to make good friends? Life seems more complicated, full, busy, and, and we live in a world like we've never lived in before, where we're more connected than ever. And yet, we all know that we deeply, desperately need real friends. Could it be that the thing that came so easy to you as a child is more important to you as an adult than you even realize? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to walk through what it looks like to have spiritual friends in your life. A couple years ago, uh, Tom Rath, who's the senior scientist at the Gallup Center uh, and has written a, a ton of New York Times bestselling books, and in fact, if you, anyone here heard of StrengthsFinder, you ever heard of StrengthsFinder, that assessment, that book? So he wrote that and was a part of writing that project. And so years ago, he was looking at his life and the work that he was doing, and he began to wonder about the people in his life and where they came from and why they seemed to matter as much as they did and why it was so difficult for him to make friends as an adult. So he began to do some studies, and that actually led to a book that he wrote called Vital Friendships. He wrote a powerful book called Vital Friendships. Highly recommend it. Here's what he found about the power and the role of friends in our lives. He said this, now listen to this. He said this of you and of me. If your best friend eats healthily, okay? So just quick show of hands. Anyone have like gluten-free, free range, Don Dairy, power shake in the morning? Just raise your hand if you have a friend who eats healthy. Maybe you're married to one and you regret, you know, that their life choice or that, right? Because you've had to adopt that. Okay, here's what he found. If your best friend eats healthily, you are five times more likely to have a healthy diet yourself. If your friend eats healthy, you're five times. I'm not saying it's going to be fun. I'm just saying that you will actually five times more likely to eat healthy if your best friend eats healthily. He found this about work. Those of you, maybe you work in a place where it feels like, I don't have any friends. Some days it feels like I have enemies at work. Like, I don't, you know, here's what he found. This is really interesting. He says, those people who have no real friends at work have a one in 12 chance of actually feeling engaged in their work a one in 12 chance of feeling engaged in the work they did do. Conversely, he found, those folks who have a best friend at work are five times more likely to feel engaged and find meaning in the work that they do, regardless of what it is. Isn't that interesting? That we actually need people maybe more than we realize. You need people more than you realize. The person next to you needs people more than they realize. In fact, I want you to remind them right now. I want everyone in this room in our overflow space as well. And if you're watching online at Starbucks, I want you to do this as well. I want you to turn to the person next to you. I really mean it. Turn to the person next to you and look them in the eyes and say, you need me. All right, I want you to go ahead and tell them right now, you need me. Put a little sass on it, little attitude in it. You need me. I mean, where would they be without you? You may not even know them, but they need you more than they know. Now, because of all the research and everywhere I'm about to go in this message, now you need to turn back to them and say, and I need you. Go ahead and tell them, and I need you. We need each other way, way, way more than we even realize. And this is what's interesting about the day that we live in. 
is that we can recognize our need for friends, but be fooled into thinking that we have them based on the connections we have online through social media. We live in a really beautiful, wonderful, unique time in human history where you can be vastly connected without being deeply connected. And so it's easy to think, oh, no, I've got friends, I've got people, I've got people in my life who care for me. This is really interesting. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, a, a study out of Oxford University by a psychology professor there named Robin Dunbar found this. He wanted to understand the depth and breadth of the connections that we have specifically on Facebook. So this is not anything about Facebook. That was just the easiest thing to study. And so he pulled a, a large group of people together and studied them for over a year of how they interacted with people on Facebook. And this is what he found. Of the group that he studied, he said on average, most like, people had about 150 friends. Okay, so, that, so some of you are like, oh, I'm better than the average person. Great, awesome, you're awesome, <laughs> calm down. All right, so he found that 150 friends on average, this is though what he found, of the 150 friends on average, only 4.1 could be counted on as real friends. Of the 150 friends on Facebook, only 4.1 could be counted on as real friends. That's two and a half percent of all your friends on Facebook. And he went in deeper and he's kind of studied some life circumstances and emotional circumstances that came up and he found that when an emotional crisis popped up for the people he studied, only 13.6 out of the 150 friends actually showed any sign of sympathy for their friend. Now for the record, the sad face emoji does not count as a sign of sympathy. <laughs> This is real connection in the real world. Again, nothing wrong with that. I love being able to keep up and stay connected with people online, but just because you're connected does not mean that you're deeply connected. And now what we have to realize is that it's more in life than just the quantity of friends that you have. But it really is about the quality of friends that you have in your life. It's about the people in your life that are actually in your everyday lives, the ones who really know you and still love you the ones who'll stay with you, the ones that actually help you grow. So of all the people you know, I want you to think about this, a little honest assessment here. All of us can do this right now. Do the people you know help you grow? Simple question. Do the people you know in your life, in your world, do they actually help you grow? Because listen, my hunch is that's why you're here today. I don't think you'd get up and get dressed and come here if you didn't want to grow, if you didn't want to grow in a relationship with God, if you didn't want to grow in your life. So the question you have to ask yourself about the people around you is, do the people you know actually help you grow? Are they committed to helping you grow? Are they committed to helping you become all of who God actually created you to be? And are you committed to the same for them? Does that exist in your relational world right now? Do you have people who are committed to you and to helping you grow, specifically in a relationship with God? And are you willing to do the same? What does that kind of friendship actually look like? I'm gonna talk for the next few moments about what it looks like, and then at the end of this message, I wanna give you a how, how you can actually take a step, how every single one of us can take a step today to put ourselves in the proximity of people like this. 
of spiritual friendship. So what I want you to do is grab a Bible and I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. So everyone grab a Bible. If you don't have one with you, if you got your own, fantastic. You get bonus points. If you didn't bring your own Bible, grab a gray Bible in front of you and turn to page 198 in the gray Bible to 1 Samuel 18. All right. So we can grab a pen too. We're going to circle some stuff in here and you might want to jot down some notes. I'm going to give you a little assessment at the end of this text for you to do about your relational world. So grab a pen, open your Bible to 1 Samuel 18. Now let me give you some context to where we're coming at in this story. We're obviously in the Old Testament. This is before Jesus. And where we're coming at right now at this point in the story is God has been incredibly faithful to the people of God in the Old Testament. You have to understand the, 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 the context of where we're coming into this. Uh, the people of God have recently become the nation of Israel. Now, they were born really out of a promise that God made to Abraham. And out of that promise, God brought a people. And he led and grew those people to be, became a force in the world. But they were taken into captivity by Egyptians. And they lived there in slavery for many years. But God delivered them out of slavery. And God even promised them again that they would have a land of their own. And he had been faithful to them to provide them for that land. They'd been living in that land now for quite a while. And so here we see God's faithfulness on display for them. And yet after all that God had done, they wanted more. In fact, they wanted something else. It wasn't enough. God wasn't enough. They wanted a king. Now that they were a nation, they were a people, they wanted a king because all the other nations had kings. We do this all the time with God. I do this all the time with God despite his many blessings, provisions, the way he's carried me through, I always seem to find a way to want something else. And so that's what we see on display here. That's what they're doing. And so God says, okay, I'll give you a king. I'll give you this thing that you think you want and it's gonna reveal what you actually really need. God said, I've been your faithful leader all the way through, but I'll give you what you want because it's going to reveal what you actually really need. And so God gives them King Saul and he starts off strong, but before long, he begins to lose his grip. He starts to become fearful, starts to become paranoid, starts to forget who God is and how God led him. And, and so while that's kind of happening, then God actually begins to raise up a new leader. Along comes David. You've heard of King David. So David is actually a shepherd at this point. God brings him out of obscurity into God's story. And God says, you are going to be the next king. Now, this is really interesting because David was everything that Saul was not. David was pure in heart. David loved God. David knew who he was and how God had brought him through. And it's because of all of these reasons and more, God says, you are going to be the next king. But in cultures in that day and still to this day in our world, that's not how the monarchy was handed down. That's not how kingship was handed down. Typically in those days and still in our world today, the king would hand on their crown, their title, to the next generation with the firstborn male, typically in that culture. The firstborn male would inherit the throne. But God says, no, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to pull David out of obscurity and put him into my story. Who the throne should have gone to is Saul's son, Jonathan. Saul's son, Jonathan, had the rightful claim to the throne. But God chose David, and as we're going to see here in a moment, even that, which would be, again, for a lot of us, a really hard thing to take. Even though God chose David, Jonathan chose David as his friend. So let's read in verse 1. This is right after David had defeated Goliath and the Philistines. Big moment. <clears throat> He's debriefing it all with Saul, and this is what happens, 1 Samuel 18, 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, listen to this, Jonathan became, what's the phrase? Jonathan became 
one in spirit with David. There was a oneness. There was a commitment to each other, one in spirit, rooted in the reality of God. And he loved him as himself. That's a powerful thing to be said of a friend. I love you like I love myself. They were one in spirit, united. This is a, I want to just point out two things that are really important for us to pay attention to in this moment. Again, David has a massive victory. He's on his way to taking the throne. And Jonathan says, I choose you to be in relationship with you, to do life with you as my friend. Two important things to point. First, I already mentioned, David should by all rights be Jonathan's greatest threat. David should be an enemy. Here's this guy, he's kind of rising up. Everyone's kind of excited about this guy. And that's who David became to Saul. Saul saw him as a threat and an enemy. Jonathan saw him as a friend. Jonathan said, I want to do life with you. I want to share this life with you. Second thing I think it's important to point out is this is a story of a relationship, a friendship between two men. And I chose this passage specifically because I know that there's a lot of folks in our church who tend to buy into a cultural stereotype that these kinds of relationships are just for women. And could it be because we believe that for so long that when it comes to our small group signups, which opened up today, that we typically have twice as many women's groups as we do men's. And we always have more female leaders than we do male leaders. Could it be that even in this place, we've bought into a cultural stereotype and a norm that, well, that's just for women. That's not, I don't, I don't really, I don't really need that. I don't really do that. And yet, according to the stories we're about to see, and according to all the data that I studied and prepared for our time together and that you could read yourself, all the data about how we need friends, about how they're important to us in our life and our work and our, all of that stuff, not a single ounce of that data draws a line at gender. That women need this more than men, or men don't need this as much. All of us need these kinds of friendships. So guys, keep listening, because this is just as much for you as it is for everyone else. You need this. I need this. I need this kind of friendship in my life as much as you do, as much as we all do. And we get to see David and Jonathan form this kind of friendship. Verse two, it says, from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Now, this is a very important little detail you don't even often think about. Again, David was kind of in obscurity and God kind of led him into this moment, defeated Goliath, defeated the Philistines. And, you know, that'd be an awesome moment for a mic drop, be like, peace, I'm out, go out while you're ahead and just go back home. And, you know, just be kind of like, man, I'll always have that moment. But Saul says, no, 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 no you're staying with me. I see who you are. I kind of see what, how the people respond to you. I want you close to me. And so now David is far from home and far from family. And I think for a lot of us, we can relate to that. Maybe you moved to Chicago for school, or maybe you moved to Chicago for a job, or maybe you moved to Chicago for a relationship. Maybe you started your family in Chicago without any family in Chicago. But a lot of us can relate to that. I don't have, other than Jeannie's family, I don't have any family in this city. And we can all kind of relate to that feeling, I think one way or another, of what it looks like to be far from home. And that's why I love this type of friendship that David and Jonathan form and that we're going to talk about even more today is that these types of spiritual friends can actually become, by God's grace over time, can become family to you. Sometimes in the place of your family. Maybe you even actually have family in this area, but it's not that good to be around them. These kind of friends, spiritual friends, by God's grace over time, can be family for you. Can step in and even do things that your family could never do for you. This is what God does through these kinds of 
friendships. And I love hearing how God's doing that in and through our church. This last week we were in an elder meeting and we were sharing stories. And one of our elders was sharing stories about some of her friends and even their family who had friends who were without a place to live for various reasons. Some they kind of got kicked out of their apartment because the landlord wanted to sell. Some people had closed on a house, but then it got delayed a couple weeks and months. And if you've ever done that, you know how that's possible. And so she was telling stories about how folks in our church just said, well, why don't you just come live with us? And this isn't like they have, like, I know these people. They don't have, like, those massive houses, like, the whole wing that they could have where you'll never see them. This is, like, in the bedroom next to ours. And so families are opening up their homes to other families to live with them because they've opened up their hearts to one another. And then a beautiful picture. It's happening all over the place in this church. And as she was sharing the stories, I know that another one of our elders is actually, by movement of God and faith, is actually moving from their home in the suburbs to live here in the neighborhood, here in the city. Move their kids, they're all kind of back into the city. And they've kind of had a tricky time with all the time and things, finding a tenant for their place, but not having a place to live here in the city. And so I knew his story, and as she's sharing all this, and he hadn't yet found a place to live, I just had one of those moments, you know? Like he's feeling like prompted and stirred by God in that moment and hearing this and what God's doing. And I, I, I just leaned over, looked him in the eye and said, you can't live with me. Just so you know, it's a powerful story. You can't live with us. Because I think it's really good for some people, but not all of us. So no, here's what's so funny. I, and I was joking, I was joking with him. Here's what's so funny. So then we kind of got around to sharing and he shared his little kind of update about where they're at. And this is what I love, this is what's so fun. So you sharing like how they've been looking for a place and all the struggles and landlords and crazy, you know, it's Chicago, so anything can happen. And then they found the place that they had originally wanted and it's directly across the street from the house that Jean and I are moving into next month. How, so they basically are gonna be living with us. So how fun is that? You know, we get to be neighbors and, and with each other. See, this is what happens. By God's grace, over time, spiritual friends become like family and even more than family. And that's what Jonathan was to David. David was kept from his family, kept from home, but Jonathan stepped in to fill a role in his life that all of us have and all of us need. It says this in verse three, and Jonathan, this is really important. I want you to circle this word. Jonathan made a what? What's the word there? Uh, a covenant. We've talked about that at Soul City before. That's a commitment. That's a promise, a commitment that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Hold up on that thought right there for a second. Circle that word covenant. Now this is really important because I, this is a significant act of friendship. He makes an agreement, a promise, a covenant with David. And I don't know if you've ever even thought about what are the agreements that you have with your friends. Have you ever even thought about that before? What's, what are the maybe unspoken or maybe even unsigned covenants you have with your friends? Think about the people in your life. What have you agreed to with each other? What have you committed to with each other? Have you ever even said, hey, you can count on me. Hey, if it falls apart, I want to be a first responder in your life. You can count on me for that. Hey, I know you're going through a tough time in your marriage right now. Anytime, anytime you want to talk, you can count on me. Hey, you can count on me not to talk about you when you're not around. You can count on me. Hey, you can count on me that if I'm feeling like you've hurt me or said something, I'm going to let you know. And if I've said something to hurt you, I hope you would let me know. These are covenants. These are agreements that we made. Have you ever done that with a friend before? We all have them. They're just oftentimes unspoken and even unsigned. But David makes it known, or Jonathan makes it known to David, I'm making a covenant with you today. You can count on me. And then it says in verse four, he made an act, a symbolic act of this covenant, this commitment that he was making 
to David. It says that Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And this, again, we don't kind of necessarily understand all of the imagery in our culture today, but this is a very, very big moment where he's saying, no, really, really, anything I have, anything you need, it's yours. This is a covenant that we're making. We're spiritual friends, one in spirit, whatever I have. And he literally gave it to him as a symbolic gesture to say, it's yours. And for those of you who've never joined a small group here at Soul City Church, this is actually what we do on the first week. We just take off our coats and our <laughs> cell phones and our keys, our swords, and we just hand them to each other. And as a symbolic act, you can count on me for the next couple months. All right, so we don't actually do that, but it's a, you get the picture that is happening here between Jonathan and David that he loved him as himself. Wouldn't you love to have some friends like that? Some covenant friends, some spiritual friends. Wouldn't you love to have some friends like that in your life that will open their doors to you because they've opened their heart to you? The Bible tells us that David and Jonathan remained this type of friends, this soul level spiritual friends for many years up until Jonathan's courageous death in battle. Jonathan was fighting the battle. It's a powerful story of right up to the end, his trust in God and the way that he was fighting for God and for the people of God. And he loses his life. And so it's reported back to David that not only has Jonathan died, but his father Saul died in the same battle. And David, upon reflecting on this relationship, has this to say in 2 Samuel 1.26. You don't need to turn there. We'll just put it up on the screen for you. Listen to what David says to eulogize his friend, he says, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Now listen to this. Your love for me was wonderful. More wonderful than that of a woman. It's a very intimate, powerful thing that David's saying. And if you know anything about the life of David, he loved the ladies. And so this is, this is very... Jeannie told me not to say that at the second service. Jeannie, they, I'm just saying, it's true. It's in the Bible. Just read Read your Bibles, especially those parts. So we see here that David knows, and he says, listen, this is a different kind of thing. This is a different kind of friendship. This is a spiritual friendship. This is a different kind of love. This is a covenant love. He doesn't have to be my friend. He chooses, and he laid down his life for me. It's a powerful picture of spiritual friendship. Do you have any friends like that in your life? That level of love for you or that you have that level of love for in your life? Listen, spiritual friends are essential to your life with God. If you're serious about having a relationship with God and specifically growing in that relationship with God, you cannot do it alone. Spiritual friends are vital to our life with God. And in David and Jonathan, we see something that is common of all spiritual friendships. And they come into our life for different reasons and for different seasons, but every spiritual friendship has these two things in common. So I want you to jot these down maybe as an assessment for your relational world right now to see who you know that hits these marks of spiritual friendship. First thing, spiritual friends are always, first and foremost, for God. Spiritual friends are for God. Now, this may seem obvious to you, but just think about it for a minute. We're about a lot of things in our life. We give ourselves to a lot of things in our life. Do you know anyone in your life that gives themselves to God, that is for God, that is committed to God and their relationship with God, even above you, even above anything else in their life? 
Spiritual friendships begin by being for God. Jeannie and I call these types of people friends we want to be like. That when we see a couple or we see someone in our life and we see their love for God and the way that they're living there, not perfect, but they're transforming life out with God, we go, that's a friend I want to be like. I want to get around this person because by God's grace, I'll be more like them. I'll be more like that. Their love for God. Do you have anyone in your life that you know that is for God? And of the friends that you have, is this a factor for them? Does this matter to them? Doesn't mean that they can't be your friends. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be your friends. They play a very important role in your life. But do you have anyone in your life that is for God, first and foremost? And the second thing you find in David and Jonathan, you see in every spiritual friendship, is spiritual friends are, this is going to come as a shocker, for each other. They are for God, and listen, they are for each other. Now, this is really big. Because they're not about themselves or their own agenda or what you can do for them. Or you're not looking at them as what they can do for you. And these, they are for each other. Like Jonathan did, covenant kind of, hey, I'm, you can count on me for this. I am for you. I'm not only committed to being with you in life, I'm committed to being for you. I'll always have your back. I'll always speak the best. I'll always speak the truth to you. I'll offer you godly wisdom, not just my opinion. I'll tell you when you've hurt me. I'll ask forgiveness for when I hurt you. I am for you. Do you have anyone in your life that you can say without a doubt right now is for you? They're for you. Because that's what spiritual friends are. I'm for God and I'm for you. They are actually for each other. And I love seeing how this kind of takes place in our church and the way that God works this out by his grace over time. This last week I saw a picture of this type of friendship, the commitment to this type of friendship, being for God and for each other. Uh, there's a woman in our church who uh, kind of stumbled into our doors, really in a desperate spot about six months or so ago, and found one of our staff members, and they began to talk, and her life was in a really, really, really tough spot. And the more that they began to open up their lives to each other, the more she realized that what she needed most in that moment was Jesus. And so literally, they walked from the front lobby to the prayer hall, and right there, she gave her life to Jesus. I said, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to start there. And let's see what God can do with that. And so she dove in and got involved here and is serving here and is connected to our mom's face group page, you know, which uh, I'm not a member of. I don't know why that hasn't happened, but she is. And so uh, she's about to be, she's about to be a single mom. Does that make sense? It's all by herself, about to bring someone else into this world. And there's some stuff that happened recently with her job and a lot of, she's in a really tough transition. So she just was kind of telling her story on this mom's wall on Facebook and kind of laying it out there with people that she knew and was in a relationship with here. And finally, one of them asked the question that spiritual friends tend to ask. She said, what do you need? What can we do? And like a tidal wave of love, these moms just began saying, I got a crib. You don't need it. You can have ours. I've got bottles. Here you go. You can have all of our bottles. Don't worry about clothes. I've got you covered here. And this wave of love began to wash. And Jeannie was kind of telling me the story and walking me through this. And there were folks who said, hey, listen, you know, if things are tricky with your insurance because of the transition stuff at her job, they said, here's this awesome organization that can help you so that you don't have to pay for this birth by yourself. And these women just began to step in. What do you need? What do you need? Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. 
in such a beautiful way that you may never have even known about or heard about unless I told you about it today. And that's why I love what's happening here. Because these women are for God and they're for each other. That's what spiritual friendship looks like. What do you need? You can count on me. I'm here for you. We're here for each other. Listen, I need that in my life. It's why I've been a part of a men's group here at Soul City for the last four and a half years. And why I thank God for those men and the role that they play in my life. It's why when this is all said and done this afternoon, I'm going to get in my car, drive an hour north of here to meet into another small group that I meet with every quarter. In fact, Nate, who's in my small group, is here right now. He traveled, I mean, from like all over the country, we traveled together to huddle up together because we need each other. We need each other. I need this. You need this. Every one of us needs this. And listen to me. I want you to hear this. You deserve this. God created you for this. And we created this church for this. So that you could have these types of relationships. So that you could experience biblical community. We all need people that love us like Jonathan loved David. And we can all become people who love others the same way. So that's why we make such a big deal about small groups around here. That's why we make such a big deal about small groups. Because listen, they are not perfect. And the reason I know this is because I'm in one. I lead one. Not perfect. Because they're filled with a bunch of imperfect people. But they're the perfect place to start. Not perfect, but the perfect place to start to experience this. Because you simply will not grow on your own. You simply cannot become all of who God created you to be all by yourself. Transformation doesn't happen in isolation, friends. Transformation does not happen in isolation. We need each other. You need me. I need you. We need these types of relationships in our lives. And so the question is, do you have any? Do you have any? And if you do, I really mean it. You need to thank God for them right now. You need to thank them today. And maybe ratchet it up a little bit. How can we be more for each other? How can we make some covenants, some agreements with each other? Some you can count on me's with each other. And if you don't have that, then we're here to help. I would love for you to take the next step today. Our next step is really, really, really clear. Our next step is that you would join a small group today. That you would sign up today to join a small group. And if this feels, okay, if this feels like, oh my gosh, was this whole sermon a pitch for small groups? <laughs> Wait, did he just, that whole thing the last 30 minutes was to get me in a group? Yes, it was. <laughs> Welcome to the party. Yes, it was. Because listen, these things actually work. Not perfect. Perfect place to start. Great place to start. And I love what I get to do here every weekend. I love when we gather together on Sunday. I love worshiping God together. I love teaching God's word to you and with you. But this is not where the greatest amount of transformation is going to happen in your life. Trust me on this. I've been in this long enough to know. This is important. I love this. I mean, this is my job. I love this. But circles are where you really grow, not rows. But this could be the place that you step into a circle where you start. And so I want to encourage you today when we finish up our gathering, you can head right over to the 
corner of our lobby and sign up for a group. You can do it online even in a minute while I'm praying. If you want to do it online, I will not be offended because I just believe that you getting yourself in the proximity of people who are for God and for you has a powerful effect on your life. In fact, last Sunday, I got to see a little window of this, and I'll close on this. I, I, um, I was standing at the door greeting folks, saying thanks for coming and stuff. And someone came up to me and said, hey, do you recognize me? And I, you know, this happens all the time. So if I've ever done this to you, don't be offended. I'm like, oh yeah. You know, because I kind of, I recognize that they're a person. And so I'm trying to like, <laughs> um, and so she says, I was your Uber driver a couple weeks ago. And then I remembered, oh yeah. Because a couple weeks ago I had to catch a flight. And so I hopped in an Uber and as we started heading out, I was in kind of one of those spaces that morning. You ever had those where the Uber driver wants to talk to you and you're like, I got to pretend like I'm asleep or I got to do something here. I was kind of in that space, but I could tell God prompted me to connect. And so we started talking and she asked what I did. So I told her what I did and I told her about you. I told her all about you. And she shared with me how she had been a part of a faith community as a kid, but it had been a long, it had been a while. And she'd moved into the city and was trying to figure out how to make friends and trying to start a career here as an actress and how lonely that can be and how hard that can be. And so I just kept telling her about you. And so when we got to the airport and we were done and I was about to get out, I said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to our podcast. I want you to start listening to our sermons. I want you to see for yourself if this is for you. And then I made her open up Spotify in that moment. I'm like, this is our album. We created an album full of original worship music. On your drive back, will you commit to me to listening to this, your drive back, and just see if maybe God want, might want you to be a part of what he's doing here. Now, I got, went to my flight, she left. I didn't honestly think a ton more of it past that until I saw her last Sunday. And the reason mostly I didn't recognize her because at that point up into our relationship, all I'd really seen was the back of <laughs> her head. So don't judge me, okay? I just, all I saw was the back of her head. And so as we began to talk, she began to tell me that she's been coming every week since, since I had invited her. And, and as we're talking at the door, one of you, someone who was doing their first serve, came up to her and gave her a huge hug and said, oh, it's so good to see you, Yvette. Oh, remember, let's connect, let's connect so we can get together, okay? And that kind of moment happened and she went off to do her thing and she just began crying and I began crying. Because it really works, friends. This commitment to each other, this commitment to God has a powerful impact. She said, I don't even know why I'm crying. I'm like, honestly, I don't either. This happens all the time. And so what I said to her, I said, that's the spirit of God, Yvette. He's led you here. And I think he has so much more in store for you. And so I didn't hesitate to tell her all about small groups, just like I did with you today. I don't want you to miss that moment today, the opportunity to get yourself in the proximity of people who might just be spiritual friends, might just walk with you for the rest of your life. So I invite you to stand. I want to close in prayer. And I, to do that, I want to pray a prayer that we pray over Gigi. Jeannie and I have prayers that we pray for each kid each night. And so Elijah has his prayer that we've been praying over him since, God, just about since we brought him home from the hospital. And Gigi has her prayer that we pray over her. And I want to pray over you the prayer that we pray over Gigi. And this is part of the prayer that we pray over Gigi. We pray over her every night. God, we pray that you would surround Gigi's life with godly friends who would always point her to you. Because we need that. She needs that. 
I need that. And then we follow that up by saying, and God, I pray you would make Gigi a godly friend so that she could be a light to her world. And that's actually possible for you as well. So I want to ask you to join me in a prayer as we close and as we consider our next step with God together. Will you pray with me right now? God, how we need you and how we need each other more than we even know. And so God, I pray for this church that I love, but you love way more than me, that you would surround their lives with godly friends that would always point them to you, that when life gets hard or they hit a wall or a diagnosis comes in that they weren't expecting or a loss enters their life, like family, these friends would step in and surround them. And because of the spiritual commitment and covenant they have to you and to each other, they would be carried through. And God, I pray for every person hearing my voice right now that you would make them a godly friend, that they would be that kind of friend for others around them, that they would even feel the temperature going up a little bit in the relationships they have right now, that they would consider what it looks like to love their friends as they love themselves and to make that kind of spiritual covenant friendship agreement Starting today, I pray that you would make them a godly friend so that they could be a light to their world. Because God, we want to be a part of what you're doing in this world, in our lives. We want to join up with your kingdom movement as it literally is changing this world and transforming hearts and lives just like ours. So we pray this all by the power of your name and your kingdom. Amen.